0: I invite you to take your Bible, if you would, or your smart device or whatever it is that you use to read uh, your your Scripture from, and turn to the book of Ruth. If you're not sure where that is, uh, it, it's pretty near the front of the Bible, right after the book of Judges. In fact, uh, it just uh, goes from the last verse in Judges to the first verse in in the book of Ruth, in the days when the judges ruled. So that's where we are. I'm not going to read right now a passage of Scripture. Uh, I am going to read through Ruth chapter 2. That's why I invite you to keep your device or your Bible open to this particular passage of Scripture because I'm going to try my best to tell a story and uh, if you'll remember from last week, by the way, if you weren't here this last week, this is a, a series, and so it, this sermon builds on what went on last week. And last week, I talked about the providence of God. One of the things that I reminded you about is that the life of the righteous. Now, let me stop there and define righteous, a person who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and whose sins are forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is counted as righteous. And so that's the definition. Sometimes that word throws us and we think, oh, I'm not righteous because we know the way that we live and act and all of the things that we do, all the stumbles that we make. So we're using this in in that way and what we said last week was this, that the, the, the life of the righteous person is not a straight line. And this story is a reminder of that. In fact, if you would take Ruth chapter 1, you could parallel it with Job chapter 1. The bottom falls out. She loses her home. She has to move because her husband made the decisions to move because there wasn't any food. There was a famine in the land. Not long after that, we don't know exactly how long, she lost her husband. She had two sons. They married, but after about ten years, it says, they both died. The indication is that they died at the same time. Now, I, I am in that camp, and I'm not in the camp that some people in our fellowship are in that have lost children. Job lost all of his children at once. The indication is that Naomi lost all of her children, her two sons, at once. Well, that left her because they were married to two women from Moab. I don't know how all that played out in terms of their relationship, but I do know that she was left with two daughter-in-laws that she might have considered as being foreign. She had no provision. Like I said last week, there, there was not welfare back then. There was not social security. There were no stimulus checks. Those kinds of things. She was left in poverty. No provision. And perhaps even more importantly, no protection. Now, she ends the chapter, and, and this is very telling. We've got to go back to chapter 1, and along about verse 19, let's pick it up there. And I'm, I'm going to read, not the entire chapter, all right? We're going to read and then stop and make comments. I, I really, I wish I could, but it, there's no way to get to everything. But I am going to make a couple of applications that I think particularly for us today, I I was thinking of two particular groups of people. Get ready. I was thinking of our students, of younger people, but it applies to everyone. And I was thinking of our men, of our husbands. And uh, it applies to everyone. But the upshot of the message is this: just this. If you are a follower of God, just do the right thing. You don't have to do something great and grand and glorious. That's, that's kind of the way our culture reads it. But you just need to do the right thing. And that's what we see in the life of Ruth and then Boaz. We're introduced to him. What an incredible character. So with that, let's go ahead and just read and we'll start into this and uh, talk about it along the way. So you're in chapter 1, verse 19. You got it? Let's read through it. By the way, I'm going to ask you to mark your Bibles in a minute. Uh, you may not want to mark your smart device. Just remember the connections. I, I love to mark my Bible. You'll see lines and, and, and other kinds of circles and all the rest of that because these things just hop out. The more you read it, the more you see these things, and they're really fantastic. So let's start with chapter 1, verse 19. So the two of them, the two of who? This is talking about Ruth and Naomi, okay? Now, remember, it looks like... I may come back to this. It looks like there are three basic characters. There are really seven. We, we talk about Naomi and then talk about Ruth, one of her daughter-in-laws, and, and the fact that Orpah was the other daughter-in-law. She didn't go along. She went back when she had the opportunity with some reluctance, and I think it was genuine. But she went back to her people and she went back to her gods. And Ruth didn't do that. Ruth had an incredible conversion experience. She left her gods. She said to Naomi, Your God is going to be my God. And you know what comes out of that? Your people are going to be my people. There's a whole sermon just in that. And so here they are, Ruth and Naomi. They go back because providentially, we're going to use that word. We used it a lot last week. Providentially, God provided food in Bethlehem once more. So they're going back. They went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, now this is incredible, the whole town was stirred because of them. Why? Just two people that came back into town. But listen, it was a small town. Relatively speaking, it was a small town. And everybody knew everybody. And so I want you to notice who really says this and what they say. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women, not the men, the women said, is this Naomi? 10-plus years. It was Naomi. I, I, You know, I've looked at that and, well, didn't they know it was Naomi? I think it was like some of us who are older, we have these certain experiences that allow us to understand what is possibly going on here. But um, a guy that I graduated from high school passed away in November from COVID. And so I went back uh, two years ago. We had our, are you ready for this, 50th, oh, yeah, (laughs) high school reunion. And so I went back and looked at the picture. They took a group picture, and there was my friend. There he was in the front row, and I began to look at that picture. And I commented to Jan. Now, this was a guy talking, but these are women. And you can just kind of hear it. Is that really that person? They look so old. Now, was Naomi that much older? Well, just 10 or 12 years. By the way, when you guys graduate at your 10-year reunion or 15 or even 20-year reunion, you won't notice a whole lot of difference. Some with some people, but not a whole lot. But here's the thing. She had been through it. And like the great philosopher, you know, I'm fond of quoting great theologians, great philosophers, but uh, the great philosopher Indiana Jones said when his girlfriend looked at him and said, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're just, you seem older. And he said, look, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Amen. If I were an old-time preacher, I'd say, can I get an amen from some of you? You know how that works. And so they looked at Naomi. Is this really Naomi? Oh, my goodness. She must have been through it because she's aged not just 10 years, but it looks like she's aged 50 years. Verse 20, she said to them, you know, and this is not a big identity statement. I thought about getting into all of that. Everything's going on today. But she said, not just my outward features have changed, but... I'm just changed inwardly. My name is Naomi, but don't call me that. Do you know what Naomi means? If you've got a reference Bible, it's going to tell you in the footnotes. Pleasant or delightful. She said, please don't call me that anymore because my life is anything but pleasant, anything but delightful. Start calling me Mara. Do you know what that means? Bitter. And then she says this. Now, I want you to listen to this. She's telling the truth. I don't get any complaining in this. She's lamenting. And she's being very forthright. She didn't quite get get to where Job was in in his lament, but she speaks... You've got to see this. She sees the same providence of God working in her, her life that Job saw in his life. Why call me bitter? Because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Statement of fact. God is God always. God is good always. But sometimes, as we talked about last week, the providence of God can be a dark and a painful providence. That's why the road of the righteous is not a straight road. I started to say always, I don't know of anyone who grows in righteousness in Christ who wants to follow Christ whose life has been a straight road. In fact, it seems that the more you want to follow the Lord, the more you run into all kinds of bumps and and roads that take you down the side and winding and all the dead ends. So she she said, call me bitter because Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Kind of left Ruth out. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, Ruth the Moabite. You'll find her referred to that in, in about five different locations. Ruth the Moabite. Every time that word was said, it was a reminder to her, I'm a foreigner, I don't belong, I don't fit. She had her own things, but she did the right thing. Wow. So Naomi returned, Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Hello? Coincidence? Coincidence? providence of God. Now, let's jump into chapter 2. We're going to read through this, and we're we're going to see some things that are just absolutely stunning, I believe. Um, let Let me go back and share with you a verse that I shared last week. You may want to jot this down. By the way, if you're home and I refer to the worship guide. You can go to our, our website, click on the button. You can download a PDF of that, so you can write down some of these things that are so important. Isaiah talks about the providence of God. I talked about this last week, referring back to Jim's sermon the week before, and in this marvelous little passage, Isaiah chapter nine that 's a Christmas passage. It points forward to the the Lord Jesus Christ, but we always focus on the wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, I think one of the primary things that we need to focus on is the government will be upon His shoulder. Not just the government of our country. Folks, everything is on His shoulder, and that's why I ended the message last week with saying, if that is true, why do we try to take the weight of the world on our shoulders? When Jesus has already taken it on His. Let me give you something else from last week, because there were some of you who weren't here last week. Don't ever judge your present circumstances until you get to the last chapter. That fits with the book of Ruth. Go to the last chapter. Let me just show you this. This is cool. Uh, I... Like I said, there's just so much here that I saw. I I hope it's not too much, too many threads out here, but go to the last chapter and you'll see this. Uh, Verse 17 is really cool. And then it goes on, it says it again. Um, But verse 17, and look at the parallel with the Christmas story. That's what the book of Ruth is. It's an incredible parallel. We're going to see types, two types, uh, in, in just a few moments. But verse 17 says this, and the women of the neighborhood gave him, this is the child of Boaz and Ruth, gave him a name saying, a son has been born. Wow. Name his name, Obed. Now watch this, in the providence of God, Obed, not just another guy, nope me in your genealogy is just a person that god providentially put you where you are with all of the twists and turns my last sermon by the way is going to be titled change the titles a little bit ancestry.com we'll get there it's just amazing everybody that is in your family line It's been providentially ordered, and and nowhere do we see that more clearly than in in this verse that we read a few minutes ago, and and we'll add to it what Matthew says about this. This was not even really a part of the sermon, but it fits with last week. This is for free, okay? In those days, the decree went out. I read that a few moments ago. Now, I want you to look down. They all went to be registered. To his own town, Joseph also went to the city of David. Why? Why? Because 1,300 years earlier, there was a baby who was brought into the world named Obed, who had a child, look at it, named Jesse well, what does that mean? Whose son was David. Let me show you this, Matthew. And Look, two of the four women show up in this little passage. Two of the four women in Jesus' genealogy show up. And there's some application about that. The book of the genealogy, Ancestry.com of Jesus Christ, son of David. And I'll skip over some things. Judah, the father of Perez by Tamar, if you don't know that story, look it up. PG-13 at least, okay. Perez, the father of, skip over a few, Salmon, the father of Boaz. Do we find Boaz in the story of Ruth? Yes, we do. Lo and behold, who was his mom? Rahab. We'll talk about that in just a second. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Why, what, why was there a famine in Bethlehem? So that Elimelech, and we don't even know if he really made a good decision in doing this, moved his family to Moab. There's a question as to why did Elimelech die? It could have been that he disobeyed, he moved to Moab, which he really shouldn't have done. That's all by God's providence. Now stop there because we're not making God the author of bad choices. Those are yours. You get to own those. Uh, Seriously. People who struggle with the the doctrine of God's providence always move to the extreme and say, well, you're making God uh, the author of sin. No, the Bible doesn't do that. I can't explain it. It's just true. So there had to be a famine providentially so that Elimelech would move providentially with Naomi and his two boys. Don't understand exactly all the things about his death, but so that Malon, his oldest, would marry Ruth and so that he would die later on so that they would move back to Bethlehem so that she would meet Boaz and marry Boaz who would be an ancestor of David who approximately 1,200, 1,300 years later would be the ancestor of the king of kings. Not just the mighty King David, but the king of kings. So you look back into all, I mean, mean, look at the things that happened in your lives. You, you, You guys are young, but you've had a lot of stuff happen. And don't you sometimes look at them and say, where did that come from? Where did that come from? If you don't look back far enough and see the hand of God in it, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle so much. And if you can get a grasp on the fact that God means these things for good, to create more of the image of Christ in you, you're going to be on your way. Now, let's move on, okay? First. Actual point, and we've already talked about that, as uh, the, the book of, of Ruth, chapter 2, as it opens, I, I, I got the feeling as I read through this, okay, let's move back from the last chapter to chapter 2, because we're going to be walking through this. Uh, I almost felt like I was reading through a Hallmark movie. Okay. Okay. I don't like Hallmark movies. Jan puts one on. She says, "I know you don't like Hallmark movies, but this is this will be a sweet." Well, they're all the same. A girl moves from the big city to help her mother-in-law whose business is struggling and she meets the handsome young prince and all the rest of that and every well, you know, you Do you guys watch Hallmark movies? Okay, Lauren, I figured, okay. Okay. Please get this. It's so, this is so neat how God authored this book. This is more than a love story, but it is a love story. Don't miss it. It's okay for it to be a love story, and there's some great application that grows out of this. There's more to it than just a love story. We meet Boaz in the first verse. Now, Naomi had a relative. This doesn't… This statement of fact, this doesn't play in until a little, a little bit later on when Boaz shows up in the field. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan, Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. That's our introduction. A worthy man. Folks, in my estimation, the ESV that I love and that I use misses it here. A worthy man, that's two words. I won't get too deep into this, but I looked up those two words, a worthy man. What else? Uh, Some translations maybe that you're using say a wealthy man, a man of great wealth. Those two words are the exact same words used to describe somebody all the way back in Judges chapter 6, a guy by the name of Gideon. And if you haven't read that story, you need to read that story. And they were hanging out, and uh, he was hanging out trying to… He was fearful of the the Midianites, and he he was trying to get some work done. And the angel of the Lord shows up, and he calls him something that Gideon didn't feel. He was just he was. He was going to become that. And here's what he said. Same two words used to describe Boaz in verse 1. And he says this. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Go back. Does that look a little bit different than a worthy man or a wealthy man? Does that have a different ring, a different feel to you? A mighty man of valor? It's one thing to be a worthy man. It's another thing. By the way, one of the words that is used to describe, it's right there in the lexicon, is brave. And that's why when we get into chapter 3 and we're going to see the story of the kinsman redeemer, I've kind of changed the title, we're calling it Braveheart. Because that's what his name means. So we're going to come back and talk to him because he, he figures into the story in just a few moments. Let's first look at Ruth, a couple of things And um, ladies, moms and grandmothers of young ladies. There's more to life, but this is really a great application from the life of Ruth. She trusted God. She did the right thing. Let's look at some of the things that, that you've got to get. Remember, they're broke. There's no food. There's no hope, there's no protection, there's no provision, there's no legacy. So what does she do in verse 2? This will blow some of you away. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Not talking about Boaz yet, just whatever field. You sometimes read the Bible and, you, okay, you look at that verse and you, you fail to put it into a modern context. How many of you parents? Now, I know that there are, and I'm, I said some of this was for, for the students. But moms, what would you do if your 14-year-old came up to you and said, and some, some of you have, okay? Mom, I want to go to work and help the family out. Really, moms, some of you, what would you do? Well, after you picked yourself up from off the floor because you fainted, hearing your 14-year-old say that, you would say exactly what Naomi said. She said to her, Go, my daughter. The first thing is that she took the initiative to do the right thing. Now, by the way, you've got to see this The job she was going to get was about the lowest you could have. There were reapers that worked. They were the paid workers that worked for like Boaz and the other people that owned the field. She didn't work for him. She was a gleaner, not a reaper. There was a law in Israel. God said, you guys be good to the sojourners and poor people in your midst so that when you're reaping the field, leave some grain around the edges. So that the poor people can come in. These were people that had nothing. I mean, I, I, you, you, you talk about entry level. That's where she was, but she took the initiative and she went to work. She saw the need. Naomi said, Go, my daughter, with, I think, a great deal of gratitude for helping the family. Verse three, there's a second thing that I think is significant. So that's the first thing. For students, all of us, take the initiative. Take the initiative. Good application for everybody. Let me stop. Would all of you adults agree that, that students, young people, that that would be a good application from God's word? Amen? Okay. Second thing she did. She didn't do great things. She just did the right thing. Second thing she did. Verse 3, I I love this. So she set out and went and gleaned. Remember, that's different from reaping in the field after the reapers. That kind of shows you. And she, watch this, providence of God. She happened to come on the field, the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Do you think that that was coincidence? (laughs) <laughs> absolutely not, who was, oh, by the way, of the clan of Elimelech, who, oh, by the way, was of the clan of Judah, to whom the Savior of the world was to be born. Got to move on so you guys can get out to eat and meet beat the, the, the Methodist. Okay, I say that because we've got a friend who's probably listening and she's Methodist. Okay. All right. You'll know who I'm talking about. Okay. Verse seven, we're going to skip a couple of verses and come to seven because we're focusing on Ruth. She said, please let she, she Boaz shows up. He says, who's this young woman? Don't you know? That's Ruth. We'll come to this in just a second. But then the manager is telling Boaz about her. and He already knows some stuff about her. So here's what she he says. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. She went, that's another way she took initiative. She humbly asked the foreman for permission to work. And he said, you, sure, you can do that. And she said, thank you. And he said, my pleasure. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? I think he said it, and there will be a reason why. Because he worked for Boaz. Mm. There, there's some great application there. And then the last thing in the last part of verse 7. So she came, and she, watched this, watch this, watch this, for everybody who works. She wasn't working for anybody, just for herself and her mother-in-law. She has continued from early morning to... Until now, this was probably after what we consider lunchtime—maybe one o'clock. She had been working for six or seven hours, except for a short rest. She didn't take a break to check Facebook. She didn't take any. You know, she was working like a dog. See, here's the thing, and we're going to be talking at the end of our service. we be recognizing a couple in whose home Heritage Baptist Church started. And it wasn't that they just did a great, grandiose thing. They just did the right thing. She didn't do it because it was easy. Neither did they. She didn't do it because it was convenient. Neither did they. She just did it because it was the right thing to do. That's what Elwood and Kathy Herndon did. One more thing about uh, Ruth that has to wait until Boaz's part. Let's go on to the second. See that second part of the outline? A righteous person pursues godly relationships and does the right thing. So we turn now to Boaz. Remember, uh, Boaz really is a type. He points to Joseph, the father of Jesus, and he points to Jesus. But this is a love story, and there are some incredibly valuable lessons here Uh, pursue godly relationships. That's what Boaz did, and do the right thing. Now, let me just stop and put a parenthesis in here because everybody that I know, to one degree or another, has not always done the right thing in their life. Got anybody like that here? Got anybody? You know, I, I wonder if people in that town, while they respected Boaz, I wonder if they never said anything But I wonder if they ever said, Boaz, your mom was a prostitute. I don't know of a Christian who hasn't made a misstep. Sin to sin. Taken a wrong turn. But the wonderful thing is, this is a New Testament verse. Verse. And it applies to the providence of God as you work through your life and you go back in your genealogy and you look forward to future generations. I wonder if Boaz said something like this No, that's what she used to be. She's not that anymore. You know why? She's a follower of Yahweh. Looking forward to the Jesus, the Messiah who would come, her sins are forgiven, they've been washed away, she's been justified we would say today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just wanted to throw that in for th- there are people in this room and watching on, on, on live stream, and you need to know the truth in that. So let's, let's look at a couple of things out of Boaz's life, like we did out of Ruth. Boaz is a mind, a man with his mind on God in his relationships. Verse 4, are you guys following? Okay. Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to his reapers, "How y'all doing?" That would have been okay. He didn't say that. What's up? It would have been okay. He didn't say that. Look at his his mind was on the Lord. What? It's a principle. What is in your mind is going to come out of your mouth. If God is the focus, if Jesus Christ is the focus of your mind, at some point it's going to come out and not as a cuss word. And that's why he greeted, and that's why I said a minute ago, I think that his workers probably did say, my pleasure, because they worked for a guy that just exuded God. The Lord be with you. And they answered, what? Because of their boss, the Lord bless you. Now, there's another thing. Um, Just, you you can throw this in there. Uh, Verse 8, the first part of it, Boaz is older than Ruth, considerably older. He calls her my daughter. Same phrase used by Naomi. It doesn't mean you need to look for an older man, some of you. Ladies, but he—he he, he was an older man. That wasn't a hindrance. And later on, next week in chapter three, we're going to see how Boaz saw that as a, as a great opportunity to encourage Ruth in her purity. Okay. Verses five through six. I love this. Great, great, great application. Uh. Boaz is immediately, I'm using a word here, interested in Ruth. It doesn't say attractive. Please, please in our culture hear me. Please hear me. I read several commentaries this last week that automatically referred to Ruth as beautiful, attractive. One even said cute. And I read through those and I thought, man, I've read this and I I must be missing something. I, I went back and read. It never says anything about her physical appearance. Now, there are women in the Old Testament, a handful, that are described as beautiful. Beautiful appearance, attractive, all the rest of that. There is no mention of that with Ruth. I think that is significant. There is nothing wrong with what any culture and different cultures have different ideas about this. The old beauty is in the eye of the beholder thing. There's nothing wrong with being attractive in physical appearance. But there are things that God says are way, way More important. Boaz sees her character. You know, the Proverbs is one of the most politically incorrect books anywhere. Tweet this like a gold ring, there's a lot there. Pure, fine, beautiful clean gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion and that's why at the end now this this is something I don't know but bear, bear with me on this charm is deceitful beauty is vain but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised I don't know this for a fact but I just wonder Ruth was David's great-grandmother, and because of of generations kind of overlapping overlapping and being packed together, could it have been a possibility that young David sat on Ruth's knee and heard her wisdom? Could be. I'm, I'm guessing yes. And there's another thing that makes me think that, It's found in this, verse 11. This was how Boaz learns that she is a woman of character and loyalty. I won't read that whole thing. You need to go back and read it. He said, I've heard all you did for your mother-in-law. I've heard that you are doing the right thing. Now look at verse 12, though. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you By the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's a picture of salvation. It shows up again in chapter 3 with Boaz, the kinsman, redeemer. We'll wait till next week. But does that passage sound familiar, that phrase sound familiar to you? Under whose wings you have come to take refuge? You ever heard that? You hear it from who? The psalmist. Oh, David. He's running from Saul. He needs salvation. What does he quote? And that's another reason why I wonder if he learned that on the knees of his great-grandmother. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass me by. Hmm. Verses 8 and 9, I'm not going to read that in the interest of time, but you go back and read that. Uh, Boaz said to Ruth, that's enough. How do I say this? Boaz had an intelligent conversation with Ruth. That's important. He communicates with her. That's not just for young guys, that's for people like me. In, in, in all the years, I'll just be honest. transparent with you if Jan says there's one thing that I could do better guess what it is talk to me just talk to me how's your day I've been talking to people all day that's what I do for a living so when I get home how's your day fine anybody else guilty of that no, no, no. It's not what she wants to hear. Communicate. Men, this is for all of us men. We, I, I, there are some women that, that overlap into this category, but for most of all us men, communi- just communicate, just talk. I, I see this in the book of Ruth. He said to her, now listen, my daughter. Now, the next thing is in verse 14. This is pretty cool. He asked her out on a date. This is really there. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread. Now watch this, a picture of communion. We celebrate the Lord's Supper next week. Dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed the roasted grain. I guess they went to the vast. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over, and they brought her a doggy bag, and she took it home to Naomi. Seriously. And then in verses fifteen and sixteen, Boaz makes provision for her that she wasn't even aware aware of. Now, the very last, you see that on your outline, verses eighteen through twenty-three. Here, a righteous person provides for, protects, and is a source of hope for others. That's what Boaz was. And we're going to discover more of that this next week. Is this thing called a kinsman, redeemer? It points all the way forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. Father, I thank you for the wonderful story of Christmas. It is a, a story that's chock full, and the the threads of this marvelous picture are woven throughout Scripture, all the way back to the beginning. So Lord, help us to see it. If there is someone here who has not seen that today, in terms of knowing personally the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that they would today. And I pray that those of us who know Him would see in the Scripture that our lives are not a matter of doing great and grand and glorious things, just doing the right thing every day. Help us from the youngest to the oldest in this room and watching on live stream and watching later the recorded version that we would see this and we would respond because it pleases you and we want to bring glory to you. We thank you for this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.